Hi everyone, welcome back to the Midwife in My Pocket podcast. We are here with episode four. As always, I am your host Zoe and it's going to be a pretty jam-packed episode this week and the week after because I'm breaking this up into a little bit of a two-part series um, so we can really deep dive into the information and so it's not as overwhelming and no one likes listening to a three-hour podcast I'm not about that. I don't really want to be sitting here talking shit for two, three hours. So I'm going to divide it up. I think that'll be the best way to go about it. Um, And basically the topic is pain relief in labor and birth and what's available to you, what you might like to use, how it works and how it can impact your labor and birth experience. So yeah, I'm going to divide it into two parts. So the first part, the episode today, will be discussing non-pharmacological pain relief, which is, to put simply, pain relief without medication or pain relief that isn't going to alter you on a pharmacological level. So nothing, no drugs, no meds, nothing abnormal in there. It's all just going to be all natural. So this is something that... um you know, everyone can use pretty much. I don't think there's any real, I guess, criteria for this sort of pain relief. You can use it mostly at any time. And most of the stuff here has no effect on baby or you whatsoever. Um, There are just certain things that we might have to be mindful of when we do decide to use it. There may be better times. Oops, sorry, I just hit the microphone. (laughs) There may be better times in your labor and birth to use it. Mostly early labor. A lot of the um, non-pharmacological stuff I find is really beneficial in early labor um, when you're just starting to get those period-like crampy contractions and you just might need something to take the edge off or to shift your focus from the contraction pain or the pain in your cervix and your vagina, wherever it may be, onto something else. So this is where these really come in handy. I... Um, love non-pharmacological pain relief as a midwife. I just think it works really, really well at, yeah, like I said, shifting that focus and getting you into the headspace that's much more calm and relaxed and just gives you something else to focus on rather than the pain that's happening in your body. Um, So yeah, I love using them. Even I find them quite handy when I I have a bit of a rough week on a period on the blob. But um, yeah, it really, it all is so beneficial. And again, anyone can use them, which I love as well. As a midwife, it's sort of my job to offer you suggestions based on your scenario. So if I see that something's not working for you, that's when I always say, you know, hey, how about we try this? Or how about we do this instead? Maybe a position change, maybe a bit of massage, or maybe I suggest something that is pharmacological based on your circumstance. When midwives do that, they're not forcing you into it. They're not saying you're not going to labor if you don't try this. But What they're doing is just assessing the situation because we've seen plenty of births before. We've seen plenty of labors before where things may work well, things might not work so well, and we're able to sort of gauge it 
based on what's happening in front of us. So that's why we're professionals and that's why we do what we do. But when we suggest something to you, by no means do you have to take it, um, especially if it's not something that aligns with your specific birth. Don't be afraid to say no or to question midwives or doctors or whoever it may be when they suggest a type of pain relief. It's merely a suggestion, merely something that could maybe benefit your experience it might not but it's something that we try to do just to make you feel more comfortable and just to say hey I know that you are doing like you're doing really really well I know that you might be struggling a little bit would you like to try this so that's just something that you know might be beneficial to you to know um, because I know a lot of people get really caught off guard when a midwife or a health professional says hey why don't we try this? And then all of a sudden you feel a little bit coerced into that decision. Not like that at all. So I guess I'll get into it and we'll talk about the ins and outs of what they are, what they can do for your labor and birth experience and how they can impact, I guess, your overall condition or how they can make things a little bit better for you in a pain relief sense. Sorry, I just had to reshuffle. So um, I guess the most basic one that I'll start off with is heat packs and massage. So heat packs are great, particularly in the lower back region. Um, if you are having a bit of a posterior birth or if you have that um, really quite crampy period like pain. So the way I try to think of it is if it's a little bit heavier than a period or like that period crampy pain, try and treat it as a period cramp for as long as you can. Um, obviously, with different people, they feel different things. But if it is a little bit periody, just pretend it is your period. <laughs> um, and that way, you'll be able to treat it a lot, like according to that. So you'll be able to be in that headspace of, you know, I can do this. I've done this before. This is what usually helps me when I'm on my period. Why don't we try that now? And that's a really good way to get you in that headspace of thinking, you know, it's just the same as what I've gone through before, especially in early labor when it does tend to last for a couple of hours or even a couple of days um, and it can be really uncomfortable. But if you get into your headspace that it's a period, it's just like a period, I've done it before, it may help you in that sort of sense. So heat packs work really, really well at just soothing that cramping type of pain. They can also help that back pain a little bit or any muscular pain that you might be having in your pelvis, your lower back, that sort of thing. So highly, highly recommend those. Definitely bring in your own heat pack to hospital if you can, um, because I know I have a certain heat pack that I love and that I work that works really well for me when I'm on my period and when I'm just having one of those really crampy, really uncomfortable days. I love having my heat pack there. Whereas if I'm at work and, you know, I've got that same sort of feeling, I find the work like the hospital heat packs just don't hit the spot as well as my personal wheat bag at home might or your electric heat pack, whatever it may be. Um, so highly recommend you bring yours into hospital. If you don't and if you forget it, don't stress. It's not the be all end all. Um, it's just one of those things that you might find a little bit more comforting for you. And because it's familiar, it might just boost that oxygen and make you feel that little bit nicer and a lot more relaxed when you're in labor so there's that 
There's also something called a TENS machine. Now, TENS machines, I love. The way that they work is there's a gate control theory of pain. And I'm not going to get into the technicalities of it because it can be a lot to wrap your head around and I'll lose you basically because sometimes it loses me. But the way that 10 packs, uh, 10 packs, TENS machines work is they're basically these two little, or they can be two or four, I believe, but they're sticky probes that you put on the back of your back or wherever you may like use them in labor. Traditionally, the best spot for them is in your lower back. So just between your, um, I guess I'm just trying to feel where mine is, where you're like your lower pelvis type of vibe. Um, we pop the probes there and what they do is they send off these like gentle electrical impulses. It's really quite similar to, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. You know how when we were younger and we had those little prank pens that like you would click the top of and give you like a little electrical zap? Same sort of thing, really. Like it's just a gentle zap um, and basically just sends these pulses through your back. And they obviously can't be used in water, but that's like a whole different discussion. Um, So yeah, they're just these electrical probes that go onto your back. You are in control of them. So you have like a little controller while you're in labor and you can turn the electricity pulse strength up or down depending on what you prefer. So I usually say that at the height of a contraction, turn it up or as you can feel the contraction building, turn up the strength on the TENS machine so that it like the highest peak of the contraction will have the highest electrical surge from the TENS machine. And what that does is it actually gives you like the way it works is it gives you something else to focus on and it interrupts the receptors that go back to your brain telling you that you're in pain so that you're focusing on the pain or like the stimulus in your back rather than the stimulus from the contractions. So that's the way I understand it. It might be very loosely (laughs) the way I understand it, but either way, it just interrupts those pain signals from the contraction that are going to your brain and it gives you something else to focus on and it just shifts your focus completely off the contraction. Um, Again, these work really, really well for that type of early labor contraction pain or even sometimes I've seen them used later on in labor and they can be really, really beneficial. But for the most part, I've seen them in early labor or in that sort of, you know, when you're about three to five centimeters and you just need something to take the edge off. So they are great. Highly, highly recommend them. The hospital I'm at is a private hospital and I do believe we have a supply of these. I think there's about three of them um, that we supply. Otherwise, you may have to hire these. So strongly recommend you chat with your midwife about what's available to you on the day. And if you feel like a TENS machine is something that could be really beneficial to you um, and something that could help you throughout your labor, um, please mention it to them and they will give you resources um, on places to hire or purchase. So there are a few places on Instagram. I guess I'll um, add them into the show notes where you can um, hire them or purchase them from there. So that's that one. Um, Really beneficial. You can use them at any time. They have no impact on baby whatsoever. So 
absolutely no harm will be transferred to baby. They are not harmful to you either, unless you obviously get in the water with them, then it's becomes a bit tricky um so don't go in the bath don't go in the shower with that on it can be harmful and I guess the worst part of them is the little sticky part on your back it can peel off um a little bit of hair that's there (laughs) um but yeah that's 10 tens machines really beneficial highly recommend those next one I'm going to talk about is the shower so this is probably going to be my preferred um I guess early labor or non-pharmacological pain relief method. So do not underestimate the power of the shower. It is incredible. Some of my favorite births have been in the shower. And it's just a beautiful place to really, I guess, let yourself go, let that oxytocin flow and that relaxation flow, get it nice and warm and comfortable and just, yeah, Labor as if you were at home in the shower. Um, It's just nice. I just really enjoy the vibe of the shower. Um, Essentially, what the heat does for you is sort of the same thing as like a heat pack on steroids. (laughs) Um, But the water can really soothe you and relax you. It The way it immerses you. Like I know that this sounds really quite hippy-dippy and a bit dramatic – But there's something about water that just gives you a bit of a weightlessness, gives you a little bit of a calming effect because it's like an immerse. It's almost like a hug, like a warm hug. So when the water's running down your back or when the water is, you know, running down your front, it's almost equivalent to feeling embraced. You just feel like the water is doing something nice for you. It's keeping you warm. It's keeping you cozy. And it's also releasing a huge hit of oxytocin because it's familiar, right? Like for me, for example, when I'm having a shitty day on my period, I fucking froth a long hot shower. And I don't mean like hot. I mean, boiling, like, yeah, insane. Like I'm in the depths of hell. That's how hot I love my showers. So there's obviously a bit of a restriction. I think a lot of the hospitals have like a temperature gauge where they um, will only let the temperature of the shower go up to a certain point so that it's safe. You obviously can't be too hot in the shower. So midwives will probably be monitoring your temperature whilst you're in the shower to make sure that you don't overheat because if you overheat, that can cause complications for you and for baby down the track. So that's something that we don't want to run into. Obviously, if you do get a little bit warmer, we'll say, okay, let's cool the shower down a little bit or let's just take a break from the shower um, until you go back to a nice temperature and then you can jump back in and do your thing. Um, but if it's a, a sustained hot temperature and you're starting to get a little bit, um, you know, you're starting to have the, oh my goodness, I can't speak today. You're starting to experience some of the implications of the heat or of a raised temperature. That's when we'll say, come on, out you pop, pop job. But anyway, so showers are a beautiful way to just really get in the zone, relax and feel at home. They can also do wonders for that, um, again, crampy pain um, when you are contracting and it just feels like you need something to take your mind off it. The shower comes in to a big role there so it can be really really helpful and really beneficial to be laboring in the shower um and the beauty of hospital showers is they're those ones that have the um like the tube I don't even know how to say it 
They can come off the wall. <laughs> you can spin them around your head if you like. Removable shower head, I think, is the word. Portable shower head? I don't know. Either way, they're the, those ones that they... <coughs> oh, my God. <coughs> Just choked on my own spit. Sorry about that. I'll probably edit that out if I can. Oh, lordy. Okay, yeah. So the shower head is one of those removable ones that you can whip around your body if you feel like you need to. So someone else can hold the shower the shower head in a place that you feel comfortable. You can move it around wherever you feel like you need it. I see a lot of women that fully spray it on their vaginas, um, especially when they're getting to that really quite heavy pressure stage when it feels like baby is just wanting to burst out. Um, I know a lot of women put it there. I know a lot of women use it on their lower back or they let it pour down their fronts. Um, honestly, whatever works is perfect. Like I'm not going to go into a shower and be like, you need to use it here or you need to use it there. Whatever works for you is amazing. So that is the shower. You have a lot of freedom with the shower. Again, just with that temperature thing that comes into play, midwives will be constantly monitoring you and making sure that things are going well with you and baby in terms of temperature um, and just making sure that you're not overheating and becoming, you know, like the steam doesn't make you dizzy, that sort of thing. The one thing with the shower is we usually don't recommend you use it, obviously with an epidural. Um, I'll talk about that in the next episode and things like the gas can be used in the shower. Sometimes it can get a little bit much with the steam of the shower and the gas. It can make women feel really quite dizzy um, and really quite lightheaded. So just be mindful of that. Opioids, different hospitals will have different policies on opioid use. Usually it just comes into play if you are having a bath. Some hospitals will let you go into the shower after having a dose of opioids. I've never heard of a hospital that hasn't, um, but the monitoring guidelines might be a bit different for every hospital. So just be mindful that you can usually pair the shower with another pain relief method. Um, obviously you can't with the TENS machine, but it just purely depends on your situation, your hospital and what is happening with baby. So that's just some important things to keep in the back of your mind when you are deciding to go into the shower or you're using um, warm water immersion, which I'm about to talk about. <clears throat> oh, I can't believe I choked before. Oh my God. That's just proper shame job. <laughs> Sorry about that. I will try to edit that out. I am getting a little bit better with editing podcasts. Um, it's just a matter of at the moment, I'm still trying to find my feet with podcasting and I do enjoy it. Like I do enjoy the candid conversations that I'm having over a microphone to the many, many of you that are tuning in. Cheers. But um, it's still getting a little bit tricky trying to wrap my head around the editing. I am getting there though. It is getting better. <laughs> but that coughing fit, if it's still in there, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope it didn't hurt your ears too much. If it's not in there, don't mind me. I have just know that I'm doing okay and that I've made it. <laughs> I'm alive because this podcast has gone to air. Um, yeah, quick sip. God, okay. Coffee's going down a treat today. So 
The next pain relief method that I will be discussing is warm water immersion. Now, this is one that can get a little bit finicky um, because, again, a lot of different hospitals have different policies and procedures with warm water immersion and labor. And it's really just a matter of talking to your um, to your hospital, to your care provider about what their policies and procedures are and how this will imp- impact you and whether or not you're a good candidate, I guess, for having a water birth or using the bath in labor, whatever it may be. So it really just depends on that. So I highly recommend you have a discussion with those um, health professionals around you to make sure that it is something that you can achieve. Um, Yeah, very important to do that. So I guess we'll talk about the benefits of warm water immersion, which primarily very similarly to the shower provides you with a heightened sense of oxytocin and just makes you feel really weightless, buoyant, in control and just allows you to relax a lot more than what you would be able to if you were laboring, you know, just as yourself (laughs) without the water. Um, So yeah, like I said, that weightlessness can really make a difference in a birthing scenario. Picture like it's the same sort of thing as if you were in a pool, for example, like that feeling of just being free and flowy, <laughs> that sort of thing. The exact same effect um, and it can really increase your satisfaction with your labor and your birth, um, which is something that I think is really important to have in a labor and birth scenario. And just in general, it just provides you with that decreased risk of having a traumatic experience if you know that you're going to be feeling safe and secure in the bath. So unfortunately, there are some risks associated with the bath and a few things that you have to be mindful of. Not everyone can labor in the bath, nor can can everyone have a water birth. Um, Unfortunately, that is just a safety precaution for both the person laboring and for midwives and health professionals themselves. Um, So I guess some of the risks can be that there is conflicting evidence about perineal trauma. Um, So there's not a lot of evidence or there's conflicting evidence that suggests that laboring in the water or um, in the bath can actually either benefit or reduce your risk of perineal tearing and others say that that's not really you know, sound information. So there's that. There's also the potential for an unintended water birth, which can bring on a whole new set of complications, particularly if you are someone who doesn't necessarily, I guess, I'd hate to use it, but qualify or meet the criteria for a water birth. It can um, really bring on a few complications with that if you aren't intending to have one. And it may slow your progress down. So that's just something to be mindful of in the water. And also in terms of a midwifery standpoint as well, if we need to do something like a VE, so a vaginal examination, or if we need to check baby out, it can be really quite difficult to maneuver you or get you out of the bath. Because once you're out of the bath, it's sort of like a bit anticlimactic, you know, like the The bath has been your safe space. It's been somewhere that you've been enjoying laboring in and 
all of a sudden for you to get out of it, it's cold and it's miserable and it's just, you know, not very fun for anyone. So it is difficult um, and it can be really, really quite hard to come to that decision to get out of the bath, even to bring yourself to get out of the bath. So that's just something to be mindful of. Um, But unfortunately, there are restrictions or um yeah a criteria that you need to meet to make sure that you are able to bath uh, to labor in the bath safely so I guess I'll get into the criteria or the suggested criteria for warm water immersion um so first and foremost you need to have a low risk pregnancy and you need to be laboring with one baby on board so it has to be a singleton um can't be twins or triplets or anything like that and just bear in mind too I am from Queensland so I'm getting this from the information like the Queensland guidelines because those are the ones that are most familiar to me and they're the ones that I practice by so I'm not going to go and quote you know New South Wales guidelines or Victorian guidelines because they're unfamiliar to me and because I haven't practiced using those before. So if you are in Melbourne or Sydney or, you know, Perth, wherever it may be, um, just bear in mind that these are based on Queensland policies and it may very well vary for your hospital or for your care provider, whatever you have um, in your particular state that yeah, it will be different or it may be slightly different or maybe the same. Just bear that in mind. Um, Don't take this as gospel because it's from a a Queensland guideline. It may be very different, okay? So I just wanted to make that clear. Um, You need to be able to enter and exit the water with minimal assistance. Now, healthcare professionals or midwives should all be trained in warm water immersion, water birth, and that sort of thing. There is a competency that we have to do to make sure that we're able to practice it and we have to be able to safely get you out of the bath should we need to. So we have to, first of all, have the resources available to you. So that means staff. So if you walk into a room and you say, hey, I really want a water birth, it might not be possible on the day because the midwife that you have might not be qualified in water birth and safety regarding the birth. So just be really, really mindful. If you're doing MGP practice or um, birth center practice, nine times out of 10, they will have a qualification that allows them to safely practice warm water immersion with you. Um, But if you're just going through a birth suite or you're going through private healthcare, it tends to vary. So it usually is just luck of the draw whether the midwife you have on the day does have it, but it's just something to be mindful of. And if it is something that you're really adamant that you want and something that you know that you qualify for on the day, um, please make it known so that you're not missing out on something that could be really integral to your labor and birth. So let them know and just be mindful about that. So yeah, resources, the people around and the equipment, it might not make it possible for a birth or a um, warm water labor. So just let them know if, again, that's something you're into. Um, You must not have narcotic analgesia within four hours of being in the bath. So if you have had a shot of morphine, um, you know, a shot of fentanyl, whatever it may be, You need to basically wait for four hours until you're able to labor in the bath again. Now, the reason that is you might have a reaction to the opioid 
um, and you might become really quite drowsy, really quite out of control because the whole point of narcotic or opioid analgesia is that relaxation. It can make you really drowsy, really dizzy. And when you're in the bath, it just becomes really quite unsafe. So I'm going to obviously discuss this in part two of the podcast in a lot more depth, um, particularly when we talk about pharmacological medication and their implications or their effect on you and baby. Um, But I thought I would mention it now because that is a pretty big thing with a water birth or a water labor where you that you do need to be aware of when you're making the decision to you know have pain relief as part of your labor and birth experience because it throws a lot of people off when we say okay if you want a shot of morphine or whatever it may be that that also takes away your opportunity to labor in the bath for four hours and by the time that four hours is up you may have already had baby so it's just something to be mindful of just something to be aware of so it doesn't throw you off guard Um, You must also be in active labor prior to entering the bath. So that means that you should be having at least three to four strong contractions in a 10 minute period. Um, Usually will be after early labor. So once you start to hit that really quite, um, I guess when you're starting to have those regular contractions and things are starting to go up a notch, that's when we would consider the bath because in early labor it's kind of you know not really going to do much that's when you would look to things like the shower um before entering the bath so there's that to be aware of and there's another couple of things so you can't have prolonged rupture of membranes for more than 18 hours just because that introduces a whole new risk of infection and it can introduce a whole new thing for you and baby so it puts baby at risk and it puts you at risk as well um, particularly with infection Um, so that's just something that we don't want to introduce through the bath so if you meet the criteria and you're able to labor safely in the bath that is when we have as midwives we have a whole new level of management and monitoring that we have to put into play to make sure that you are safe during your time in the bath because let's be real it's a whole it's a shitload of paperwork (laughs) if something goes wrong and we ultimately want to make sure that you and baby are safe or you at the moment as you're the one in the bath are safe Because the second you are in an unsafe situation, that's when you put yourself and baby at risk. And that's what we don't want. It also puts us as midwives at risk as well. So we just want to be very, very careful. Um, And that's why we have all of these different protocols and policies in place to make sure that safety is first and foremost at everything, at the center of everything we do. So when you're in the water, the water can only be up to your breast level when you're sitting down. It can't be any higher than that. Like I know it's really tempting to basically have a bath up to your neck, especially when you're laboring. But again, just for that safety aspect, we want to make sure that you're able to actually breathe and not be occluded by water. Most of the baths don't really hold any more than that breast level of water. Um, But we want to make sure that you're able to be comfortable and that we're able to get to you as well should something happen in the water. 
Um, we need to maintain your temperature and maintain the water's temperature. So usually that'll sit around between 36 to 37.5 degrees Celsius. And midwives will have a little temperature probe in the water that'll be monitoring it. Um, usually we'll be constantly altering the level of the bath to make sure that it meets the temperature. So if you've been in the bath for ages, we'll turn the hot water on to try and get it to, you know, stay nice and warm. We might have to empty some water. You know, it's trial and error, um, but that's what we'll be doing in the background to make sure that it's at a safe temperature for you. Um, so we'll be monitoring your temperature pretty much hourly in the first stage of labor. And then once you reach second stage and you're at that pushing phase, um, if you can birth in the bath, that's when we'll be monitoring your temperature every 30 minutes whilst you're pushing. Um We'll be constantly monitoring the water as well to make sure that we change it if there's things like debris or gross shit in the water um, because we want it to be clean and we want it to, um, you know, we don't want it to be a gross space for you because then that that's a whole nother risk of infection and that sort of thing. So we will encourage you to get out of the bath if you need to pee or poo. <laughs> We won't just say, yeah, go for gold because that's gross. No one likes that. And it also needs to be safe for us as midwives as well. Like we deal with a whole lot of bodily fluids, but again, we just want it to be nice and clean for you and for your partner as well if they do choose to get into the water with you. Um, and yeah, the other thing you'll have to be really mindful of is keeping up your hydration and your fluid intake because obviously it can dehydrate you, especially if you're having a bit of a steamy bath and you're in the water, it can almost make you forget that you need to drink water yourself. So I know when I'm in the pool, if I'm, you know, swimming around, the one thing I don't get enough of is water. And I tend to get really dehydrated very quickly from water if I'm in the pool all day or whatnot. Um, so keep up your fluids and your snacks whilst you're in there. Um, and just make sure that, you know, you're looking after yourself first and foremost. So... I guess that's most of it that I've covered. In the incidences that you'll need to get out of the bath, it will usually be based on progression and labor. So we'll keep an eye on how you're progressing because we do know that the water can um, slow your progress in labor. And if there's any abnormalities with baby's heart rate or with your heart rate, we will need you to get out of the bath so we can you know, continue monitoring and intervene should we need. Um, if there is meconium or blood-stained lichen that baby has come from baby's membranes, that's when we'll get you to get out. Um, and if your temperature has elevated and there's other risk factors that might be contributing to, you know, a sudden decline in your health, that's when we'll get you to get out. So that is everything I can think of really with the bath. I know that's a lot to take in and I know that something as simple as a bath that you could easily have at home, um, there's a lot of ins and outs with it in terms of a labor and birth sense. So I get it and I get it can be really quite frustrating when you walk into a hospital and you just think something as simple as a bath should be simple, but unfortunately it's not. So there are a lot of ins and outs that midwives will be aware of and that we'll need to make you aware of as well to ensure that you're safe. Um, so please don't get disheartened if on the day you can't get in the bath. I know it's a huge thing and I know that a lot of people love the idea of a water birth or a labor in the bath, but 
it's just one of those things where your safety is first and foremost. And that's the reason why we say no to a lot of people. It's because we just want to make sure that things are well for you and baby because yeah, you're the priority of our care. Um, yeah, so that is that. The other thing I want to talk about is sterile water injections. Now, these little bastards can work really, really well for that pain associated with a posterior labor. So when baby is in a posterior positioning, it means that they are laying back to back with you. So if you think about the best, most optimal position for babies to be is, oh, I guess, how can I explain this? If you are laying down, they will be birthing face down. So their back will be to your belly and their head will be engaged and and their chin will be tucked to their chest, basically, for lack of a better explanation. When they're in a posterior position, it means that they're laying right up against your spine with the most prominent or the most um, boniest uncomfortable position for them which is back to back so baby's back is up against your back and it can just be really really painful for a lot of women so the contraction pain that you'll get won't really be that abdominal contraction pain it'll all be in your back so and it can really hinder the labor because baby's head isn't applied fully to the cervix so what that means is they're not getting enough of that pressure on the cervix to cause it to soften and dilate um, and that's why people will say you're in really slow progression in labor when you have a posterior baby and don't stress there are things that can be done to help turn baby around in labor um, and make it a little bit less painful for you but it is one of those things. It's a very common problem that we do encounter as midwives. And one of the ways we do combat that really quite nasty back pain that you can get from a posterior baby is through sterile water injections. Now, despite the word injection, this pain relief method has no pharmacological effect in it whatsoever. So there is no medication. There's no drugs. It is purely just clean water now what this does is it's the same sort of thing as the tens machine type of theory but rather it blocks the receptors of pain um, that are causing the back pain and this is one that really fucks with my head as well because I don't fully understand the ins and outs of how it works all I know is that it's really really effective at yeah alleviating that back pain that's associated with the posterior baby and it stings like a bitch <laughs> so I've given these a few times um, when I was working in the public sector as a student and the way it works is you can either have two injections or four injections so they usually go in the sacrum of your back so the lower segment of your back and they really, really do sting. It really hurts and it's really uncomfortable. A lot of people will complain about the pain of the injection over, yeah, it's, they say it's the most painful thing they've ever experienced. Sometimes I've heard women scream when I've given them and this isn't to turn you off. It's not to put fear into you. I'm just explaining the reality of it because it can be really quite full on. Um, the pain but they are so so beneficial at alleviating that back pain associated with the posterior baby 
And I don't say that lightheartedly. Like it's literally miraculous stuff. (laughs) When it works, it works. And it's not just something, and it can be temporary. Some people say that it only lasts a short period of time. Others might say it lasts a little bit longer and they might need more. Um, But I've seen people who have had it um, and they've cried and they've screamed with pain once we're giving the injections. But afterwards, they just say that the relief it gives them is just second to none. That when we offer them another load of injections, they are like, yep, give it to me. Because that pain sort of, you know, the risk, wait, the reward outweighs the risk. Yeah, there we go. Got that one right. <laughs> yeah, so it's really quite beneficial and it works really quite well. Obviously, for some people, it doesn't work at all. Um, and that's, you know, completely normal. Things don't work the same way for everyone. But from what I have seen, they do work really, really well. So it's a series of either two or four injections that you can get in your back. Um, And like I said, it just sort of blocks those receptors that are causing you pain at your back and can really help relax you to the point where it it really is almost miraculous the way it works. Like it will give you so much relaxation. So it boosts that oxytocin and allows you to labor a lot more effectively than you would be able to with that back pain. That's you know, really hindering and slowing your labor down. So yeah, those are, yeah, amazing, amazing things. I really do recommend them. If you are having a posterior baby, they do work wonders. Um, And like I said, they've got no medication in them at all. Despite them being injections, it is literally us just injecting you with clean, clean water, sterile water. Um, so yeah, you can either get two or four of those injections depending on what sort of back pain you're experiencing. Um, but yeah, works incredibly well. Love it. Can't speak highly enough about it. (laughs) And the last thing I want to talk about in this episode is massage or, um, whoops, sorry, (laughs) um, is massage and aromatherapy and, acupressure so there are certain points in your body particularly in your back um, where if you press on them or you rub them during the contractions that can actually do that same sort of thing so um, distract you from the contraction pain and shift your focus so you're not as fixated on the contractions Um, and this is amazing for I guess your partner to get involved in the labor if you have one or your support person and really helps you guys connect whilst you're laboring. Also really good for your midwife as well. Um, Midwives are really good at, you know, demonstrating how to do it for your partner so they can understand what will work best for you and where to press and where to apply pressure should you need it. Um, So we'll usually demonstrate that for your partner and then your partner will take over from there. And it really works well at again, shifting that focus, providing you with relaxation and getting you and your partner to connect during the labor and birth. It also just makes partners feel a little bit more useful um, in that setting because they can feel really quite helpless. Um, So by doing this, it's almost like they have a role to serve in the labor. So yeah, highly recommend massaging. You can bring your own oils Um, We usually have a little stash of oils that we have laying around if you should need them. Um, Otherwise, sometimes just dry massage can really do the trick as well. Um, With that, it's important to note that 
during early labor, the massage might work for you really, really well. And then as you start to get further and further into active labor and you start to get into transitional labor or whatever it may be, that certain spot of massage might not even work for you or might not even scratch the surface as you progress with your labor so just be mindful of that and partners if you are doing the massaging don't be offended if all of a sudden you know your partner's been frothing over the massage every time you do it she's like yes that feels so nice and then all of a sudden she's screaming at you and begging you to stop Um, it's simply because she's progressed in her labor and what might have worked before doesn't work now Um, so don't be offended if yeah all of a sudden she's just completely off it It's just the way that labor works and it's just the way that the baby has, you know, shifted or the way that the, your partner's mentality has shifted. Um, It's very common, (laughs) but massage is something that is really nice at just alleviating that pain, providing you with a little bit of relaxation and allowing you to shift your focus from the contractions to an external stimulus. So... Yeah, that's all I can really think of off the top of my head for non-pharmacological pain relief. Again, this is just a very, very brief guideline to what's available. Obviously, different hospitals, different care providers all have different things that they provide. So it's really, really important that you're mindful of that when you are presenting to hospital or you are in hospital laboring or wherever it may be, that things might not be the same everywhere. And what works for one person might not necessarily work for you or what works in early labor might not work when you're in active labor or in transitional labor. So don't be surprised if you get in there and you need something completely different or you're really disheartened that something didn't work for you. That's okay because you have plenty of options. And I think that's the main thing that you need to be aware of is when you walk into a labor environment, you have got options and you have got access to things that you might not have even considered. So keep an open mind because even though, you know, the thought of the shower or the thought of the water birth or labor might not appeal to you, it might be something that can really, really help you. So don't close yourself off to things that could be beneficial um, because I've seen so many women surprised that the shower helped them or surprised that massage helped them. Um, it really just depends on how you're feeling on the day and what works for you works for you. Um, you know, don't close yourself off to something that could be really beneficial at helping you progress in labor. Um, so I think that's the main thing that I want you to take away is that keep an open mind And you've got plenty of options. So don't think that you're just going to walk in and be without. You do have things available to you should you need them. You can also work yourself up the hierarchy of pain relief. Um, Again, I'm going to be discussing pharmacological pain relief in another episode. So the next episode, I believe it will be. Um, And that's when I'll be discussing things like your epidurals and your opioid injections, gas, Um, and how they can benefit you or how they can serve you in a labor and birth environment. Also, what the um, implications are once you have them, side effects for you and baby. Um, We'll be discussing all of that in the next episode. So please stay tuned for that. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, 
on non-pharmacological pain relief. If you have, please leave a review. Um, please feel free to write me one too. I haven't had anyone write me a review yet. I've gotten plenty of um, really beautiful DMs on um, my Instagram about the podcast. But if there is something that you want to say to me over the review section, <laughs> please, please, please leave a review and um, any feedback, we're open to it completely. I would love to hear what you think about the podcast and if there's anything you would like to see progressing moving forward. Um, so please leave a review, please rate the podcast, please subscribe. Um, if you're on Spotify, press that follow button. It really, really helps me and helps my brand. So I really appreciate it. If you could do that, head over to my Instagram page at Midwife in my pocket. I am constantly releasing new educational content on there. And we also have a website. So my, I just announced the other night that my eBooks will only be available for a short period of time um, before I take them off the website. This is just because as the MIMP brand evolves and adapts, you know, the eBooks might have served their purpose. They've done really, really well, but I've noticed that there's been a huge transition with the online world and the way that we consume education. Um, so I'm going to sort of be transitioning with that and making sure that MIMP is evolving with its audience. So please stay tuned. There are big things coming and I can't wait for you to see them. Again, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please leave a rate and review and I will see you next week for part two on all things pharmacological... <laughs> Fuck, I nearly cocked that up for myself and I'm literally at the end of the podcast please stay tuned for the next episode which will be all about pharmacological <laughs> nailed it um pain relief options I'll see you guys next week ciao for now Uru. bye